But I wanted to start off our, our message today. Um, you know, in, on Mother's Day, I did a message called A Different Kind of Mother, and I wanted to piggyback that together with A Different Kind of Father. And, and here's the reality. When we're studying in Scripture about the idea of a different kind of mother, a different kind of father, really a lot of the principles, they apply to both of us. You know, the, the things that God calls us to in our character and in our responsibilities as mothers and fathers, as we care for people, it, it, it applies to all of us. It's something that we can really glean from. But I wanted to start off by reading something for you. Uh, I, I went on to ChatGTP. Anybody know what ChatGTP is? couple of you, it's artificial intelligence, all right? If you don't know what that is, all right? It's something online, and it, it's computers, right? And, they, and so I asked the computer, what makes a man a father, all right? And I thought this was interesting. I wanted to read this for you, okay? Number one, a biological connection. A man becomes a father through the biological act of fathering a child. This act is completed during conception. Number two, an emotional bond. A father forms an emotional connection with his child. This bond is built through love, care, and nurturing. It involves being emotionally available, supportive, and involved in the child's life. Number three, responsibility. A father takes on the responsibility of providing for and protecting his child. This includes meeting their physical, emotional, and financial needs. A father is accountable for the well-being and development of his child. Number four, presence and involvement. A father actively participates in his child's life. He spends quality time with his child, engages in activities, and shows genuine interest in their experiences. Being present and involved fosters a sense of security and strengthens the, father's, the father-child relationship. Number five, a role model. A father serves as a role model for his child. He sets an example through his behavior, values, and attitudes. A good father teaches important life lessons, instills moral values, and guides the child's growth and development. Number six, unconditional love. A father loves his child unconditionally, regardless of their achievements, failures, or circumstances. He offers support, encouragement, and acceptance, creating a sense of belonging and emotional stability. Number seven, guidance and discipline. A father provides guidance and discipline to his child. He helps them navigate life's challenges, sets boundaries, and teaches them right from wrong. Discipline is exercised in a firm, fair, and compassionate manner. And lastly, a long-term commitment. Being a father involves a lifelong commitment. It extends beyond the early years of a child's life and continues into adulthood. A father supports and remains involved in his child's life, uh, offering guidance and encouragement through different stages. One thing that I found so interesting, thank you, Chat GTP, for explaining this to us, is that only one of these has anything to do with biology. You know, on a day like today when it's Father's Day, I know that in this room we have stepdads, stepchildren, and, and we look across and we're like, well, I'm, I'm not the real dad, I'm not the real father. If, if we were to define fathers through their character, their acts and their actions, you are the father. You are their father. You love them, you care for them, you are present, and you embody every single one of these ideas of the emotional bond, the responsibility, the encouragement, discipline, and strength. And, and, and I just wanted to say to any of our stepdads out there, we love you, and we 
we encourage you. And, and though in our world, we might say stepbrother, stepsister, stepmom, stepdad. Reality is that according to our biblical responsibilities, those things go out the window. You are a father. You are a mother. You are a brother. You are a sister to one another. And we need to embody these realities. God has called us to something very different in our world when it comes to parenting our children. How many of you believe that? There's a difference to what God has called us to. And I, and I want to ju- jump into and kind of take a look at somebody who was a father in Scripture. But I want to see if I can get two guys to maybe figure out who that is. So I need two volunteers real quickly. I need two guys. And wives, you're allowed to raise your husband's hand. That's what happened in first service. Adam, we got one hand back there. Somebody else, I need one more. Come on, don't be shy. You're going to get voluntold soon anyway. Garrett, that's perfect. That'd be great. I told you it would happen. You can either Garrett. I feel like anytime anybody is on the stage, you get you are you are brought up. It literally happens every single time. Well, this is Garrett and Adam. Can we make them feel welcome? Because you know, being on the stage can be a little nerve wracking. So I need you to come on, on both sides here. We're gonna like family feud this for a second. All right. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you some clues. And I, and I want you to see if you can figure out who this, this saint of God is, all right? And you are playing for a $10 Applebee's gift card, which means you could buy your own soda. <laughs> just want to make that clear. All right, so that's what's at stake here, all right? So here we go, all right? And no, no help from the crowd, all right? We're going to see if we can figure this out, all right? Which saint of God was it? Number one, he fathered over 20 sons with at least 10 different women. Great dad. Okay, well, maybe another one. He was on the run or fighting in wars for most of his children's lives. Who? David? That's it. Way to go, Garrett. King David. All right, we'll finish these up here. Uh, One of his sons became a sexual predator. Another son was a murderer. One of his sons died as a direct result of his own sin, and two of his sons tried to supplant him, take his job away. You got it on number two. I'm really proud of you. That's awesome. All right, can we give a round of applause for these guys? Thank you so much. Garrett, I think you're going to remain like the shoe-in for when we do stuff on the stage. Just be like, is Garrett here? This is King David. Do you, do you read through this list and maybe go, wait, what, wait, what? What? This is the only person in all of Scripture that is described with this moniker. A man after God's own heart. This is a man after God's own heart. But here's the reality that I think we need to kind of build off of just to start today. Being a man after God's own heart does not make you a good father. It's a start, right? Being godly is a really good start. But here's the scary thing that we can read in the Old Testament, and I don't have time to read the entire Old Testament to you. It would take a long time. But let me give you a few bullet points, okay? We go all the way back to Father Abraham. Not a great father, right? He decided to have his, he and his wife couldn't get pregnant. And God said, I'm going to give you a son. He takes matters into his own hands. He marries his wife's handmaiden. They have a child together. Well, after 12 years, he begins to believe in God's promise again. So he sends his son and his mother away. Never has anything to do with him ever again. 
Isaac, his son, who is full of the promise. Isaac is a dad. He has two sons. They're, they're Jacob and Esau, right? You've heard of them. They're the twins. But he picks favorites, and he doesn't really have enough involvement in their lives. We look at Jacob, who had 12 sons, right? But only numbers in 11 and 12 did he really like because they were the sons of Rachel, and they were precious and special to him. Samuel, right? The prophet Samuel. His sons were not fit to lead Israel after he was going to die. The, the people of Israel come to him. They're like, please appoint a king for us because your sons are wicked Eli the priest his sons were wicked we see all through the Old Testament this time over and over and over again of these godly men who were terrible fathers what what a, a crazy reality for us to look at here and even to think of like David who's like hey this is the man after God's own heart my goodness this is the man that that God says I'm going to put my spirit into and I'm going to use to build the kingdom of God and build the kingdom of Israel but this man fails as a father and I want us to look at this and unpack it a little bit today because fathers it's so important for us to understand the role the responsibility that God has given to us in raising our children I want to start here Something that we can read that we, we find out about David in 1 Kings chapter 1. This is like near the end of David's life. He, he's like about to die. But here's something that happens. Read it in 1 Kings 1 verse 5 and 6. It says, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting. I will make myself king. This is one of the sons that tried to take his kingdom away from him. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run ahead of him. Now listen to this about King David. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. You know, I don't know a lot of things that I'll be remembered for in my life, but I hope somewhere in my epitaph it says he was really handsome. Like, wow. Like, this is all of David's family and his bloodline. It's like the first time you read in 1 Samuel about David, it's like David was young and ruddy, which means like he was like attractive. And his son Absalom had like this long, beautiful hair. I know I won't be remembered for that, but if I could just be remembered for being handsome, that would be amazing. We have this young man, Adonijah. And, and the story of his life is that his father, King David, the, who is literally the benchmark for every other king that comes after him as to whether they're a good king or a bad king, right? Was so busy in his own affairs and in his own life and doing his own thing that what is stated about King David and his relationship with his son Adonijah is in some translations it says this, he had very little to do with him. He had very little to do with him. Didn't discipline him. Didn't, didn't instruct him. Didn't really speak to him. He was just out. He had wives. And, and again, you know, we see in Scripture that the idea of multiple wives at one time, every time ends in tragedy, and this is part of that tragedy, is that he, he has this family that he hasn't been a part of and he hasn't raised. He's been off doing his own thing, building kingdoms, fighting in wars, running for his life sometimes. And in doing so, his children grew up and he wasn't a part of it. And his son gets to the point where he's undisciplined. And he has to live that way. And, and here's the reality. David put a lot of other things ahead of his responsibility. And dads, can I, just, can I speak this to you for just a second? There is no greater calling that has been or ever will be on your life 
than to be a good, godly husband and father. Nothing. There is never going to be anything more important. And listen, if we can even look at just David's life here and others who have been in this position, you can amass all the wealth and power and fame in the world and position and be the most important person, the most powerful person, whatever it is. But if in the process you fail to do what God has called you to do, to instill godliness into your family and your children then the measure of who you are and who you were will have the stain on it because that godliness will not pass to that next generation. And we look at Adonijah, and it sounds like he's just he's got all this stuff going for him. He's a handsome kid. He's a prince. He's you know, living in the kingdom. His dad's King David. You know, Don't we look at some people and be like, man, I bet that guy is like the greatest dad in the world. That's King David. He's got to be amazing. But he failed to discipline his sons. And listen, here's the reality. Biblical fatherhood demands that we put family ahead of our ministries. Your ministry, first and foremost, is to your family. Moms, dads, your family, first and foremost, is to your family. You can spend all the time in the world reading the Bible, going to church, being in Bible studies, leading groups, preaching to the nations, going into the mission field, but your first responsibility is at home to your family. And what happens when that responsibility is not met, we see all through the entire Old Testament. Samuel's sons turned out terrible. Eli's sons turned out terrible. David's sons turned out terrible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's sons turned out, and there's just this over and over and over. It perpetuates this idea time and time again, without God, without God, without God. And David, at the very last of his life, when this is what is spoken about him, he brings his son Solomon, and we read this in 1 Kings chapter 2. It says, as the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. You know, this would be like the Hallmark movie ending here where the music is playing. David's on his deathbed. He can barely lift his head, but he speaks these things to his son. And, and, you know, you can almost feel the weight of it. It's like, oh, that's just how precious David is, is imparting this godly wisdom to his son, and he wants him to know what's most important. Well, if you keep reading in the chapter right after this, he then goes on to say, oh, and by the way, I've got some enemies that I never took care of. And, and do me a favor, don't let them go to the grave with gray hair. It's literally what he says to them. You know, so-and-so was wicked and they did this against me and I said I wouldn't harm them. But I didn't say you wouldn't. Will you take care of what I didn't finish? Will you, t- will you pick up where I left off and will you go and make sure that those things happen and, and, and build the kingdom? And the rest of the chapter is all about that. How sad fast forward to Solomon's life, he's the next great king of Israel. But at the end of his life, he's devoted to the worship of false gods, separated from God in his own personal relationship. He built a kingdom, built a temple, 
was the richest, wealthiest, most wise man that had ever lived, but in the process lost relationship with God. And how interesting that Solomon is the one that writes the book of Proverbs. In the very first seven chapters of Proverbs, it just talks time and time again. Wisdom, seek wisdom, be a man of wisdom, live by wisdom. And and, and in chapters 10 and 15, he says, a wise son is the joy of his father, but a foolish son brings shame upon his mother. He sees these things and he sees this reality of everything that's been out there. And guys, please hear me. You know, I, I hear this repeatedly that, you know, on Mother's Day, we all clap and we're like, we need to celebrate moms and, and we need to tell mom every chance we get, you're doing a good job, mom. But then we get to Father's Day and it's like all this really hard material, right? This heavy stuff that's just weighty. Please hear me, here's why. God gave you the greatest level of responsibility in your home and among your family. It is a position to be taken very seriously. God said, you're the priest. You're the leader that he has placed over your family. And the call that he placed on your life was this, to teach your sons and daughters to be godly. You know, there are a lot of other things out there. And listen, we're, we're just as capable of this as David is. So let's not point a finger at him like he's so terrible. Listen, we're chasing after jobs and after careers and after all these ideas and, and extracurriculars. And oh, I got to teach my son how to play basketball. I got to teach him how to play football, how to play hockey, how to play soccer, how to play baseball, whatever. I got to teach him this stuff and I got to raise this up in him. I want to give him his opportunity and they got to go to the best school and have the best job and the best. Op- and in the midst of all of it, Somewhere in the back is falling off. Oh yeah, and son, daughter, be godly. Be godly. Church, our highest calling is to teach them first to be men and women of God. Can I tell you, I got three kids, most of you know that, teenagers. I don't care if my son ever plays a down of NFL football. He does. Like, that's his dream, right? I'm going to play in the NFL, Dad. I'm going to be a Denver Bronco, and I'll fly you out for every game. I haven't had the heart to tell him yet I work every Sunday. But (laughs) keep that between us. You know, if my son never plays in the NFL, I don't care but I hope he loves Jesus. My daughters, so talented, so gifted. They could do anything they want with their lives. I don't care what they do, but I hope they love Jesus. Sorry, I'm getting choked up. I hope they love Jesus. And you hope that for your kids too. Because it doesn't matter what they accomplish. If they became the best of the best of anything in this world that we pour into them and made more money than you ever did and had more than you ever had and accomplished more than you ever accomplished, none of that matters if they don't have Jesus. Church, this is the calling that God gave us. Raise up godly sons and daughters. Pour into them. Tell them how much God matters. Teach them to put me first, to love me most, 
to make me the best part of their lives. Not as a secondary thought, not as a, an idea that's way behind everything else. After all of everything else is done and you've accomplished all you want to do and built all you want to build, no, it's first. And here's the reality, church. It's, it's never too late until it's too late. It's never too late until it's too late. What, what does that mean? Well, you're still living and breathing. You're still a parent. And I know for some of you in here, you've had to go through the terrible sting of watching your children walk away from a relationship with God. My heart breaks for you. It does. How painful that must be. But it's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's not over until it's too late. And as long as you draw breath, as long as they draw breath, there's still hope that God can reach them and save them. Church, our responsibility to raise godly children never ceases. Whether you've raised your kids, you've seen your grandkids grow up, or you don't even have kids yet, we have the responsibility as men and women of God, followers of Jesus Christ, to pour into the next generation and to tell them, God matters most. Relationship with God is what matters most. You could bat 900, but if you get to the end of your life and you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. Church, this is what God has called us to, and I just want to challenge you in this today. God has called us to raise up godly sons and daughters. Your children, my children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, people of our community. We had summer blast this week. You might have heard about that once or twice. Hundreds of kids. There are going to be rumors going around that I rapped. Don't believe it. I hope there's no video. But why does that matter? Because there's a generation of kids that needs Jesus. They need spiritual moms and dads who are going to model for them what it means to live for Jesus. Guess who got that call? You did. God said, you. You're the one I'm going to use in your grocery store, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your job, wherever you... You are the ones I am sending. You are the ones that I'm, I'm putting this sacred message upon to go and tell the world, just as David did to his son. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all His ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written by God so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. Church, our kids will be a success if they're living for Jesus in their adult years, no matter what they're doing otherwise. That is the call that God placed on our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for our earthly fathers. For some of us in here, we had excellent examples of what it means to be godly, to put you first and to choose you before anything else. But there are people in here who didn't have that opportunity. Their parents didn't model that for them. Maybe they're the first generation just trying to find their way and to live for you. And Lord, I pray 
that you would reveal your goodness in every single one of their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would show them your faithfulness. God, that you would put this call in every one of our lives to live for you, to put you first, to put you as the number one thing in our lives and all these other things that could come after us and that could be opportunities and distractions. We want to choose you. As we look at your servant, David, and we see his mistakes, God, we say we don't want to follow in those same footsteps. We don't want our lives to be measured by being vocationally successful, but failures in our own homes. God, would you guard us from that? It's never too late, Lord. Would you just speak that encouragement into the hearts of those who have had to watch their children walk away? You're not done. It's not over. It's not finished. God, you're still working and moving and doing great things. Help us to work diligently in all that you've called us to do, but to lean heavily upon your faithfulness and your spirit to accomplish the greatest works of all. Church, I wanted to close out the service this way today, and this is something God had put on my heart. And I don't by any means desire for this to be shaming in, in any way, shape, or form, but I want us to take the time to pray together. But I just felt a tug on my heart that if you're a parent in here and you have children who are away from the Lord, I want to ask you to stand so we can pray for you. I want to ask you to stand so we can pray with you and believe with you for what God wants to accomplish. And yeah, if you're here and that's you, I just want to ask you to stand. Church, if you see somebody around you, you can just begin to pray for them. Pray with them. Realize where they're coming from and some of the hurt that they feel. Let's just begin to pray because prayer changes things. Let's agree together for that. Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I just lift up these parents to you. Lord, I lift up their hurt. I lift up the brokenness of their hearts. They who have loved their children and in so many ways done all that they could to lead them to your heart. God, but they've seen the, the poor decisions, the, the indifference in some cases. Lord, we just agreed together that in Jesus' name, it's not over yet. That you're still calling back prodigal sons and daughters. Lord, we partner with these parents in agreement that you are going to bring their sons and daughters back into relationship with you. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to begin to move and to speak into every one of their lives. And no matter where they are, what they're doing or what they're going through, would you just whisper into their ears, Jesus, I love you. Would you just whisper that to them? God, tell them, I love you. I died for you. I died to give you more than this, more than what you're living in and more than what you're doing. I, I was raised from the dead so that you could be raised. God, would you just speak that encouragement, that reminder into those ears? Lord, you promised us in your word that if we raised up our children in righteousness, that when they were old, they would not depart from it. God, we call on that promise right now in Jesus' name for these parents. Call back the prodigal sons and daughters.
Lord, we thank you that for as long as we draw breath, that it isn't over, that we're not powerless in this fight because you've always been fighting for us, with us, and beside us. And we give you the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Parents, please hear me. God's not done. Whenever Satan tries to tell you it's over, it's too far gone, there's no hope, there's no chance, God's not done. And we're going to continue to pray with you and believe for that. Will you stand with us? Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've been able to share together. We celebrate you, God, as the greatest father of all. Lord, I pray that for all of us as we go today, that you would put this challenge in our hearts to be men and women of God who are raising up a generation of our own children, of our neighbors, grandchildren, anyone that we can reach. Help us, God, to lead them to your heart, to live for your glory, God, to be the examples that you've called us to be because there's a generation that needs to know you. Lord, I pray that you will send us out and that we will celebrate today your goodness in our lives and the goodness of our earthly fathers and all that they have meant to us. We give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our prayer team will be up here at the front if you need prayer this morning. Call your dad if he's still alive and tell him you love him. Go see him today. Celebrate each other and give God glory in all that you